Hello everyone, welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. Uh, I'm Jose. I'm Mike. And we've just come from seeing Ant-Man and the Wasp. The sequel uh, to Ant-Man. That's right. So, um, what did you think, Mike? Uh, I had a good time. Uh-huh. You? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a very good time, indeed. Uh, I kind of... I, I mean, there was a point in the film where I was thinking, oh, I hate comic book movies. You know, when I was younger, like, the thrill of the comic books, because I was a real comic book geek. And there was something wondrous about comic books. I mean, I, I, you know, the argument then was that comic books were as great an art as any, that they dealt with the complex issues of life, you know, and that they dealt with it in imaginative ways and beautiful ways, like some of the panels and the art. And, yeah, and it was conceptually so sophisticated. I mean, the best, obviously, were. Mm. Right? And there was a point in this film where I was thinking, oh, and, you know, and now it's just become about, like, special effects and so on. And then after a certain while, I didn't care. Like, you know, I kind of, yeah. It, I, it got you. Yeah, it, you know, I was just kind of so charmed by some of the comedy, mm. right? And actually some of, um, you know, some of the conceptualization of the imagery is pretty fantastic, right? You know, the shrinking up and down and how they realize those shots and actually just mm. the images themselves are so dazzling. Yeah, yeah I, especially when they're small and they do they do an awful lot of very shallow focus stuff, which emphasizes it. When you see like the tiny little van bouncing around, yes, um, uh, you, you see it in the trailer actually. That shot, it's wonderful. It's fun and it's captivating. Yes, yeah. So and I liked um, I liked the humor. I mean, actually, I loved uh, Michael Pena in this. You mm. know, I thought uh, um, he kind of pretty much stole the movie. He was funny in everything he did. First film as well, he did. Does he got the same? Yeah, he stole that too. Um, and they've expanded this. So you know, and I love Paul Rudd, um, but uh, um, you know, Paul Paul Rudd is wonderful, uh, but he doesn't he doesn't get every moment the way that Michael Pena does. No, although I, I think the film generally struggled for comedy a little bit early on. Mm. It did have a lot of good jokes throughout, and it got huge laughs in a very full cinema. Yes. Um, oh, by the way, spoilers coming up. We're <laughs> going to talk about the whole thing. There's an opening... There's a, an early scene with Michael Peña and Paul Rudd, and it's they're not bouncing off each other well enough. It's a bit... I, I wondered, have, have they lost it? Yes. Um, and the moment I sort of knew that Michael Peña... Uh, his character had not lost it was when he's being interrogated by Walton Goggins yes. and he's got a truth serum and he's returns to that speaking very quickly telling the story and uh, uh, telling the story very quickly in a very lengthy way and, and it returns to that thing from the first film of showing the story that he's telling in sort of cutaways but the characters that he's talking about when he says like and then, and then Ant-Man said this and then it's Ant-Man actually doing the lines. Yeah. Mike, it's uh, Ant-Man mouthing it with Michael Peña speaking it, right? It's, in, it's really funny. And when that came back, I was like, yes! Actually, yes, it's still here. That whole scene is a little comic masterpiece of acting and directing, actually. Mm. You know, because all the actors appear, right? So it's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's Michael Peña's flashback. So, you know, they're kind of... He's telling the story, but you, you're flashing back to it, and it's the, it's, it's the actors playing their characters, but... Speaking it and playing it in the way that Michael Peña would play it. Yeah, and right. actually, what it means is they also get to do something different. Yeah. Like Evangeline Lilly, for instance, who plays the Wasp, she plays the daughter of, of, of Hank uh, Pym. She is, she's a little bit stuck up, uh, she's, uh, she's a little bit kind of uptight, 
but then when she's doing Michael Peña's version of herself, she's cool yes. and kind of suave and, and, and fast-talking. Yes. And uh, it's great to see her be allowed to do something different, even though it's through sort of the guise of something else. It wouldn't make sense if she did it herself. Yeah. You know, that's um, great. It's a brilliant scene. Um, and, and actually, I think kind of... Um, I was going to say I wish the film had more of those, but that's not true, actually. I think the film is very well-paced. You know, it's got kind of a very good action... Um, it's, it's very funny. Um, it leavens some of the more sentimental aspects with jokes, right? So kind of, you know, the father-daughter scenes, which, you know, the, the child actress who plays her is, you know... Eh. <laughs> not We've seen worse, but she's not very good. Um, you know, so... Um, so... So... The film brings in Bobby Cannavale, or yeah, it always kind of adds an element of, of funniness or a twist or a joke or yeah. a, a little bit of an oversized line or a performance to kind of leaven, you know, that more sentimental stuff, which I think is very good. Yeah, and I, I and it doesn't overdo it to the point where it's like it's unable to take anything seriously. Yes, it is able to take things seriously, but it's just it's always got this this jokey sensibility underneath everything. Yes. Um, I was trying. I was trying to think, you know. So when I was thinking of this thing about uh, these comic book movies, and you know, because obviously on the one hand I love them, on the other hand, like most of them are really not very good, and you know, and if you hold them to the highest standards of cinema, they're really not good at all, really, you know. So and, and kind of, you know, my my thinking about them is, well, what are they about, and. You know how they how do they enhance your understanding of either the world or what it is to be human or so whatever themes kind of they take on, mm. um, and and you know and I was kind of thinking about it in relation to this film and I was struggling a bit really you know yeah I, I feel it's like in the same in in the same boat with that and I I very often do with Marvel films I very often think uh, my initial response is is very plain and then after. A few days of thought, I'll kind of come back and go. No, it was actually it was talking about this, this, and this. But um, I don't. I think Ant Man is actually that light. Yes. Um, it's not really pushing at anything. No. I feel like it. And I mean, in terms of representations, you know, kind of. I suppose it's nice that you know they they have like this melded family. Yeah, the Paul Rudd character. Mm. You know, uh, again, which was established in the first film, and you know, kind of since developed. I just kind of wish that they would have done something more with the science, right? Because, again, you know, just harking back to the comic books, you know, one of the things that I love so much is that they kind of, they grounded it in logic and, and science, right? They, you know, that so, so there was probably like some um, uh, uh, scientific principle about shrinking somebody and then, you know, there's a level of invention, you know, kind of attached to... <laughs> you know, kind of something that was theoretically possible. And then kind of, you know, the audience's imagination acts with it, right? So, you know, if you if you accept the basic kind of principle as one that could be true or real or, you know, yeah. scientific, then your imagination can, can work with the film as to the rest and maybe add things to it. So I kind of... I'm sad that these films that are really so... or that could be so much about the beauty and marvels of science and, you know, the discovery of kind of how our world works, you know, from the smallest particle to the largest element, that that's not made more more of. Yeah, I kind of see what you mean, although if you're talking about kind of drawing on on actual science to then provide a basis for invention, 
Um, I, I, I don't know that there's ever been any kind of serious um, kind of undertaking of trying to shrink or grow something in the way that... Uh, even in any way that's, that approaches what, what you see in Ant-Man. I think it oh. is just, it is p- kind of pure imagination, which is not necessarily a problem. The, where, where the science comes in in the film is not in trying to explain how they do it, mm. but it's in, it's in talking about the quantum realm, yes. particularly in this film. It's the idea that... Um, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, the mother, has been lost in the quantum realm because she shrank way too small years ago. Um, and then it's the possibility that she might still be there mm. and can we get her back. And I think the film suffers a little bit. The action suffers because it doesn't have clear enough consequences for failure sometimes because there's this whole thing about... There's this, there's this character that is referred to as a ghost. I don't know what her actual name is. Who was involved in some accident years ago, which means that she is kind of phasing in and out of the real world and the quantum realm. You see her kind of shimmering and mm. it's very it's cool, you know. And mm. and she's and she's in pain the whole time it's explained her cells are divided and and she's in permanent pain. Um she believes that uh Michelle Pfeiffer's character if she's able to, if she's still around provides a way out because mm. of and and this is where it starts to get really too stupid. It's about it's about she's got some energy and I could I could leech off that energy and use it to fix myself. So you yeah. go fine, but then when the film gets to the point where she's trying to do that, at the same time as they're trying to bring her back, bring Michelle Pfeiffer back to the real world, um, it should be very dramatic, and the film is robbed of its drama because you don't really know what the consequences are of her leeching off this energy. Is will it kill her? Will it incapacitate her? What's actually going to happen? It's not really well established because the characters don't even know. No. The characters are just kind of going, I, "Maybe this will work. It's it's my only chance." And then, and then of course what happens is that uh, she's, the ghost is stopped from doing that. Michelle Pfeiffer has returned successfully to the real world. And then she says, I can help you. And she, she places her hand on the ghost's head, on the, on the sides of her head, and it, it sort of glows. And then she's just, and then she's fixed. And she's no longer phasing between worlds. And you go, well, that, uh, the, there's nothing to believe in there. They're just making it up as they go along. Well, they planted it earlier when she, when Michelle Pfeiffer says, "Oh, I've changed. You know, you mute. You not mm. only change and grow, but it is, but vague. you mutate. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's like, you know, <laughs> if if it's so California, it's like they've they've, <laughs> they've looked at too many crystals. You it's know, like, well, yeah, it's like and, she's been and on drank the, too much wheatgrass or something. <laughs> yeah. that, that's my point. Like, it, it it makes a certain amount of logical sense because they've done enough work to base to give you an idea that there's something going on. But it is so vague that you actually have nothing to to, to bite onto. It's a weakness in the film, yes. I think, and actually, it's it's a uh, it's also kind of a sign of a lack of ambition, really. <laughs> You know, they could have made it more interesting and better. And one of the one of the markers of that for me was the nonsense about um, Ant Man suit sometimes working and sometimes not working, mm. without any logic as to when it works and when it doesn't work. Right? I just kind of resent that because you know they are meant to be like genius scientists. You know, they've done this a million times. Kind of, you know, they've had suits before, and now all of a sudden the suit works and doesn't work and. You know, and there's no logic mm. to why it works, to why yeah. that happens. Like, at, at one point, the wasp says, oh, it's some circuit that's short-circuited or something. And I go, well, okay, so the next time he's put a suit on, they fix that. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I agree. It's, um, it, again, it's sort of, it's taking a bit of a sort of jump, kind of logically, or an unbelievability of, of the characters in the world for the sake of some excitement in the action scenes because yes. then when he grows and when he shrinks you know, yes. it, it makes for a more exciting scene but, but it would have been better had, had there had been a logic yeah you know yeah 
Well, I mean, uh, uh, yes, I agree. The logic as to why they haven't fixed it. Yes, or yeah. just something, because to me, that not having a logic about whether, when the suit works and doesn't is the equivalent of the mother putting her hands on... On the girl's head. The girl's head. <laughs> right, like... Uh, 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 it is pretty it's vague. fuzzy thinking, really. Yeah, yeah, that's the way of putting it. Uh, but it. But it does kind of get away with it, because it's, it's charming as hell, and yes. and it's not pushing... It's not trying to make a big deal about it or anything, so I think... It's you let it slide. I think. Yeah. You know. I mean, let's 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 focus on that actually, because you know it isn't. We've spoken quite a bit, and maybe given the wrong impression in, in focusing on what we see as the weaknesses. Because the thing is, it is a truly delightful film. Yeah. Um, and the audience was with it all the way. There were also children in the audience, even though we've come from a very late night screening. There were there were children in the audience, uh, because you could hear them also respond mm-hmm. to everything. Uh, so, so it's a film that absolutely works. Yeah, um, and it has that very cartoony aspect, which kids are going to respond to, isn't it? Things being big and small. There's this whole thing about the the, the, ant, the big ants yes. walking around. It's like that's become very normal now in their world. Just the ants are big, yes. and and help out and can play the drums. Mm. Um, and it's just and it's yeah, it's 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 light. I mean, I guess these are sort of. I can't think of any any better way to describe it. This seems like pretty bland words to use, really, but it is the charm of it, is that it's light and airy and doesn't make too many demands on you. I mean, one of the things that I was thinking of when I was watching the film is, you know, because I, I, didn't, I didn't quite register when I, first the, when I saw the first Ant-Man film that the director of that film was the same director as Down With Love. Mm. Right? Have you seen Down With Love? I have not. Okay. It's it's a it's a kind of it's a serious takeoff of the Doris Day rock cuts and romantic comedies on the fifties. So on the one hand, it's kind of like a postmodern film, which is all like surface. It's all style. They're all aping that world and those characters, and it's played really in a very high style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember kind of you know I saw it when it first came out, and. I appreciated the style and I loved Ewan McGregor and Renna Zellweger and the whole look of the film and the pacing on it. And on the other hand, I felt I understood why it didn't work with audiences at that time because it felt that it was like empty as well, that it was like pure style. Yeah, that kind of it only operated as a kind of a, a postmodern commentary on notion on nineteen fifties notions of romance in general and the pillow talk type Doris Day Rock Hudson films in particular. And then I saw it on TV recently and I found that that exercise in style was just dazzling in a way that maybe I hadn't, you know, uh, I mean, I'd noticed it, but I'd noticed it as, as, a, as a lack the first time around. And actually one of the things that impressed me this time around is just how stylish the film is, you know, how, how visually dazzling it is. Yeah, yeah Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, and, and also how it does have this tone that it maintains throughout, which is, you know, a light comedic tone that kind of operates almost at every level. And also I thought, you know, the, the, the kind of open um, liberal, playful uh, conceptualizations of gender is something that was in, in Down With Love as well, and the kind of, you know, you see in these elements here. So the film is not afraid, really, in a way to show love between, or deep affection anyway, between male friends, and, you know, also kind of 
there's all these little gay things that are kind of done quite playful in a way that doesn't feel homophobic and no so for example the scene where they're talking with the mother and Paul Rudd ends up holding Michael Douglas's hand oh yeah that's right yeah and and actually it's it's held for quite a long time that scene right yeah, yeah. you know so yeah so it's a setup to a joke I forgot on that one yeah. yeah but on the other hand kind of at the end of it you know the the joke could have been Paul Rudd shaking the hand away or whatever whereas you know it's just the, the punchline is just a, a glance right yeah like, again an yeah. intrigued glance. <laughs> yeah, that's, so I thought that's that... Michelle Pfeiffer is sort of taking over um, uh, Ant Man's body. Yeah, and so he ends up he he becomes kind of well, sort of quite feminine, and yes. and and then if you didn't know, you'd sort of say that was kind of quite fey. Yeah, whatever. And, yes. um, and it's played really beautifully. Yes. And, yeah. No, I agree. I've forgotten that. I and, really and like with, that. It's played with tact and style, you know, because that scene could come off as really yeah. homophobic, right? Yeah. But it doesn't. You know, so I think that's kind of like, you know, part of the interest and intrigue of this film. On the other hand, representationally speaking, I didn't think that the uh, the black and uh, Eastern European characters, uh, the sort of sidekicks, the secondary characters in the in the, the uh, security business, yes. you know, Ant-Man's mates, basically, they, they were very badly treated. For one thing, they have very little to do. Another thing, they're basically stereotyped. And actually, the black guy doesn't even really get to be much of a stereotype because he's got so little to do. The Eastern European talks of the ghost in a, in a way that it's, it, it's, it's aping kind of the, the, the stereotype of Eastern European myths of like, you know, whatever it might be, some witch. Mm. Yeah, and it's got a name like El Chupacabra or whatever, whatever yeah. it is. I and, thought the Eastern... And, and, and then the, the, the black fellow, I think he's played by T.I. Yes. Um, he... He, he he doesn't even get that much to do. He he just gets to got sort a few of jokes. Not really. He all he really gets to do is kind of act like a sort of exaggeratedly surprised in a kind of quote unquote black way. And th- those two are treated really badly, I think, actually, by the script. Okay. Well, I I the, kind of direction. I could see how you could say that about the Albanian or Bulgarian or whatever he was. You know, he had a kind of a Count Dracula accent that was really milked. Um, I thought Di was funny, you know. I mean, it's true he had a very small role. It's not so much funny because um, I think the, I think the actor who plays the other guy is also funny, but I think what they're given to do is a bit um, minor. Think, well, not not minor. I don't mind them having small roles to play, but I I think that actually when they, when they when they get to play their roles, all they really have to do is be uh, stereotypes. That's what I well, mean. I got, and that they are given so little to do means that's all they're doing. Yes, well, I, I, you know what I mean. I, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, uh, I, I thought he was funny. Yeah, I, um, it's true that he's got a small role, um, and you know, likewise, it's true that uh, Lawrence Fisher, Fishburne, uh, Fishburne, who has a larger role, uh, it seems also a bit wasted, really. Mm. Um, but uh, the person who I liked least in the film was the villain. The, you know, the, the ghost, the restaurant. Oh, owner. oh, uh, Walton Goggins. Yeah, yeah. It's actually this, this kind of multi-villain film, but yes. yeah, Walton Goggins. Yeah. So I kind of I I wished an actor with more authority and better comic timing had played him. I think he's a good actor, Walton Goggins, and I think he could have played him better, unfortunately. Um, but I'm, I agree with you. Essentially, yeah, he's, he's not good enough. He's not good enough. Um, um, uh, he's got quite a cliffhanger. It does, and actually, Gasps I love from that. the audience. Yes, I love that about the film. 
because actually what happens is like it's a real serial. So, you know, the narrative is resolved, but then, you know, just as you think it's about to end, another little scene begins that sets up a completely different problem, a completely different question, and the film ends. Yeah, so, so you have to watch the sequel. So what happens in, 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 in this scene? It's a, it's a mid credit scene, like um, uh, Marvel always have. They, they, they always have, you know, cut credits, and then the credits are big and exciting and, and, and produced with lots of graphics, and then it goes, ooh, end of the kind of first part of the credits, mm. and we'll have a scene, and then they do the rest of the credits, normal, just white text on black, and then they'll have another post credit scene, which is normally stupid and it was this time I stuck around for it it's just the ant playing drums it's mm. in the trailer boring but the first the mid credit scene is it's great because you've had this very very light film even at the, at the moment, moment of its highest drama it's not really been it's not really been about kind of making you feel like everyone's going to die mm. it's never and yeah so they're, they're, everything's been resolved and they're on top of a building doing some experiments and they send um, Ant-Man down to the, the quantum realm to pick up some healing healing particles it's so fucking lame uh-huh. <laughs> go, go collect some healing particles and so he does and then all of a sudden they're not responding on the radio and you and then you see in the real world they're just dust they've been disintegrated <gasps> oh my god because it's the snap isn't it from uh-huh. from Infinity War and they've all gone and so he's stuck in the quantum realm <gasps> super super dramatic and it was great oh yeah that was wonderful I didn't get that I didn't get that it was the snap from it the has movie. to be doesn't it I, can't think I think you're right no I think you're right but I did that hadn't kind yeah. of clicked so he's, um, he's getting stuck in there for, for the next Infinity War film. Good. Um, <laughs> let me point out a few things that are, you know, just uh, um, on my mind. Uh, so before I forget, get fucking Stan Lee cameos out of these fucking films. They're irritating beyond measure. Easily right? the worst part of the film. It's the worst part of the film. Uh, it takes you out of the narrative. He's not funny. You know, we get that he created, you know, some of these characters, though not all of them, and he's a credit hog, right? Like, just (laughs) stop putting him in the film. Something that was cute the first time around is just now completely irritating. Mm. And, 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 you know, it doesn't serve the films. It doesn't help the films. Uh, And I can't imagine even, you know, the, the biggest Marvel fans, and I am one, kind of appreciate having that, you know, kind of old guy interrupting the film every time and it's a really lame line as well yeah he's, he's, he's uh, in this film what it is is he's going to unlock his car and then they shrink the car in the middle of an action scene and he says something like well the 60s were fun but now I'm paying for them and so it's, like, it's like it's so fucking lame and he can't deliver the line and as you say it ruined it just kills the scene stone dead yes well, what? it's awful yeah I awful mean, um, they should do it at the start like you Hitchcock he would do his he do his cameos like five minutes in so that people would not waste the film looking for him. Or you know it would be like somebody's reading in the newspaper and you just see an image. You don't have to give fucking yeah. Stanley a whole scene. Yeah, but if know? they are going to give him one, they, they could at least do it two minutes in so you know it's over. With, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I kind of you know that that was deeply irritating. There are two small things that I wanted to pick up on, which are one of them's a quibble, which is what how has Michelle Pfeiffer survived for thirty years? What's she been eating? I felt the same thing. You know, kind of... <laughs> it's really easily over... <laughs> Actually, it's one of those stupid things. But, you know, it, uh, that's the question that came to my mind. 
you know, is there a bathroom in the quantum zone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought there might be something in if, if she was sort of frozen in time and then came back as Michelle Pfeiffer from 30 years ago. Yes. But of course, but they just don't do that. I mean, the reason they've cast Michelle Pfeiffer is so that she can be the right age now. Yeah. Um, and she's great. I like her. She's, she's wonderful. Um, Actually, you know, um, I think she's so... So... Michael Douglas has had a very interesting career, you know, and he's played very interesting roles. And actually, he was one of the superstars of the 90s, you know, of the 80s and 90s, actually. There's no question about that. But when Michelle uh, Pfeiffer appears on screen, she's not only beautiful, but she's troubling. Like, you get a sense of lots of things going on in her mind, Mm. right? And kind of, you know, like, she just kind of evokes depth of feeling somehow in a way that Michael Douglas doesn't. Yeah. You know, uh, like you, you feel there are deep, there's a deep well kind of there, right? And she's communicating kind of bits of it, you know. Um, with Michael Douglas, you, you know, he's, he's become a very expert actor, so, you know, there's no fault. Uh, I mean, I'm not faulting him with anything. It's just, you know, that Michelle Pfeiffer is one of those actors that are made for cinema, that she, you know, she's... She is just great, really, and um, and she looks beautiful. She's not so good in the first part where she's meant to play young, and actually for a moment I didn't even recognize her in the... Oh, really? Early, yeah, in the early sequence. Um, but, you know, the scenes where she comes out of the quantum zone, she's absolutely great, and, and you know, I think... I can't decide whether it's a performance or if it's just sheer presence, but she does kind of... There's not a lot of performance to give. She's, yes. in, she's not in for very long. I think it may be presence, but, I mean, as you say, she, she has presence. Yeah. More than just about anybody you can imagine, really. She evokes a lot, really, well, you know, uh, 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 with her presence. Um, so it was, a joy, it was a joy to see her, actually. Um, so I kind of... Yeah, I... I um... And, of course, they've done the digital de-aging thing in the, in the opening scene, which is set 30 years ago, yes. which we've seen before um, uh, in Marvel films. They're kind of, they, they, they get it, well, they're getting better at it, for one thing. Um, you can't really see the cracks. It's very good, but they're sort of normalising it in a way which is a little bit troubling. Somehow. Well, I think what happens is that you erase the things, the things that I'm admiring about Michelle Pfeiffer now, you know, the things that a human face evokes and, you know, kind of feeling and sometimes contradictory feeling and, ex- and a sense of experience of, you know, something from the past or, yeah, like what, what I'm calling it just like a well, yeah. Well, you digitize it, you erase it. Like, mm. you know, you're, you're communicating beats <laughs> rather than a well. <laughs> well, I didn't mean so much that as, as this kind of, the film that, that um, made everybody think about this was um, Star Wars uh, Rogue One where they brought back digitally Peter Cushing as General Tarkin, Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, and he was a completely digital 3D creation. He was played by an actor who did motion capture in The Voice. Um, and it was very troubling because it wasn't even, it wasn't even taking someone who, who had provided a performance. Like, for instance, they, in Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, they took um, uh, actual film of Laurence Olivier and then inserted and created a character out of it, which, mm. you know... I don't necessarily agree with either, but at least he had sort of at some point in his life actually done that. Or Oliver Reed in Gladiator, who died in the middle of it. and um, they, Did they do some jiggery-pokery to bring him back? Well, they did some jiggery-pokery to do a couple of scenes right. um, that he hadn't been able to film. Right. Uh, to film. 
Oh yeah, I remember hearing something. I can't. Yes. Okay. Oh. But of course, but the, but that's that's still nothing compared to actually inventing a new story, a new film, and bringing someone back for it who had not not agreed to it. Listen, I tell you, as soon as you know, the film industry thinks that they can do away with actors, mm. they will. Mm. <laughs> you know, but so far they haven't they haven't delivered anything that comes even close to it. Yeah. And the only reason I bring it up with regards to Ant Man, because obviously with Ant Man these actors are on the film they're being paid and they they are you know well aware that they're being digitally aged back thirty years. Um it's it's just kind of uh, the more normal it becomes because it's not like in Star Wars, it was kind of the point of that character. They were really showing off that they could do that. Mm. Whereas in this opening scene in Ant-Man, it's incidental almost. Yeah. The but, other thing I thought, which was, which was just a, a little thing I noticed, is it, there's a 15-minute timer in the film. It's when it's, it's Hank Pym has it, when he's shrunk down to the quantum realm to find his wife. Yes. Um, it's a multi-layered action scene. It's a little bit inception because there's people of different... It, it's, Inception was layered through dreams, and this is layered through sizes. So he goes to the quantum realm within the building which has been shrunk down, which is in with, within a car which has been shrunk down. Mm. Um, he has a timer of 15 minutes. Um, and Mission Impossible, uh, the bomb was 15 yeah. minutes. And I wonder if that's just like the magic sort of time, that's like the magic uh, dramatic amount of time for a final action scene. It's 15 minutes before you'd all die. Well, the thing is that I think in Mission Impossible is done in real time. Yeah, so the 15 minutes is also the 15 minutes of the film, if I remember. Really? I thought so. Well, I mean, I'd be, I'd be glad to f- check when it's on DVD. Yeah, we'll only be able to find <laughs> out when, it was, when it's on DVD. Because yeah. obviously I couldn't, you know, look at my watch. But my feeling was, you know, and I was paying attention to, right. you know, to try and correlate that. And my feeling was that in the Mission Impossible film, you know, that the 15-minute deadline was also, was that... In real time, that was not my feeling in this film. No, certainly not. It's just, oh. it's, it is there. To, but, but I wonder if, like, half an hour is too long, five minutes is too short, 50 minutes feels like it's the right dramatic amount of time for someone to be able to do something just about. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that might be right. Um, you know, I mean, 15 minutes is a long time in, in, <laughs> in film time, really. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, I kind of... Is there anything else that we want to bring up? I mean, for me... To summarize, what I what I love most about the film, which I think is a kind of a triumph, is you know maintaining this light, airy, comic tone. Yeah, the film is very funny, and also you know creating kind of this fantastic world with this dazzling imagery, in which kind of you know these characters can operate. And yet, you know what you remember most is actually not what is I think truly dazzling conceptualization of this world, yeah? This, this, this world where people go big and small. Um, but actually what you remember is like, you know, the, the, the people, yeah, the characters. Mm. You, you know, Peña, uh, some of Paul Rudd's better moments, he's brilliant, actually. I, I he's mean, really good. We haven't emphasized that enough, really, because, you know, he is, he is the light comedy actor of the era, really. I can't think of anybody better than him. Um, and and you know this is a role for him. It's really really good. He's really good in it. Yeah, I'm really impressed with the with the lights of tone. I mean, we've used we've used that phrase a lot, but it is it's it's absolutely accurate. And, I, and there were so many films I was kind of comparing it to. My it, while I was watching it, it's got elements of contact with the kind of love across great distances and, and trying to get someone back. And actually, that, that's the same from uh, Interstellar as well. And then there's other elements that are Interstellar, like when you go into the quantum realm and the visuals become all kind of screwy like Annihilation in, in a way as well. 
um, and and Inception I've mentioned. It's it's in a way it's like it's like all these films had a sense of humour. Yes. You know, and and it's those films are really deeply about ideas, mm. um, and and feeling. And this film is not. But it, it's but if it you know what. It's it sort of takes from those. I'm not saying it's like it's they are direct references or anything like that, but it just feels like it it takes those 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 ideas and and kind of imagery in a way, um, and and treats them with with less seriousness and more lightness and finds fun in them that actually those films never did in a way, yes. you know, yes. like you can't say that Chris Nolan film has ever been laugh out loud funny. Yes, yes <laughs> but this is true. Okay, last word. I really liked it. Yes, I loved as it. As much as the first one. Not more, but I like the first one loads. So. Yes. Um, yeah, me too. I kind of I highly recommend And actually, I thought what, what was interesting is that, you know, it is a film for all ages, really. I think children would love it as much as adults do. Yeah, and I, that's actually a really good point. It's not too adult, yes. either. Yes. Uh, but not in that patronising way of being like, but we've also got jokes for kids. Yes. It's just generally... A, it's a film for the whole family. Really light, cartoony... <laughs> Yeah, it's lovely. Yes. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on iTunes, <laughs> SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, and eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh-